All right, Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Build your house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and was great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and was not as their scribes. Thanks for having me. Um, Mark and Jared asked me, um, gosh, a month or so ago, and it's all I've been thinking about, and haven't been able to sleep much, and I'm nervous, and I don't know if you get nervous when you're asked to do things, but I get nervous. I've done this countless, uh, hundreds and hundreds of times, but I'm I'm always nervous. I am I'm a school teacher, and uh, I teach freshmen and sophomores. And um, on Fridays, I will often say, you know, who's going out of town this weekend? And uh, so the other day, I said to my class, I said, anybody going out of town this weekend? Nobody raised their hand. Nobody said anything. I wanted to tell them I was coming to Tulare, you know. So <laughs> I just I just sat there, and then I said, Anybody in the room going out of town this weekend? And then finally, some kid, thankfully in the back row, says, what about you, Mr. Falk? Are you going out of town this weekend? I go, yeah, I'm going to Tulare. Yeah, yeah right on. <laughs> and um, they go, well, another kid, raise their hand. Why are you going to Tulare? I go, well, I'm, I'm going to a church in Tulare. They go, What's the name of the church? I go, it's called Radiant Tulare. Oh, little Maddie G in the back row, she says, are you gonna go do a funeral? <laughs> because, no, this is not a funeral. <laughs> because uh, I've told, you know, I tell them stories in class, and of course I've, I've told them that I'm the only preacher type in my family, and so you know what that's like to be kind of the lone believer. So I end up doing funerals for everybody in my family. So if somebody dies, they call on me. I haven't done that many weddings, but I've done a lot of funerals. In fact, you know, I not, not mean to, you know, throw any damp towels on what's going on here, but you know, my, my grandparents, my great aunt, my uncle, uh, you know, my aunt who committed suicide, uh, my brother, my mom, my dad, so I've done a lot of funerals. So are you going to go do a few? And I, t I tell the kids about these, these things. You going? No, I'm not going to do a funeral. And they go, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to preach. I I'm their Bible teacher, so they're used to me teaching the Bible. What are you, you going to preach on? I go, I'm going to preach on the wise man and the foolish man. Little Matty G in the back goes, you going to sing? I go, yeah, because well, it's a Sunday school thing. You guys, you guys know that song? If you know the song about the wise man, the foolish man, let me see your hand. Because I don't want to sing house upon the The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And the rain, it's got hand motions tumbling down. Boom, boom, boom. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came. She's a Sunday school lady. Floods came up. 
The rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the rock stood firm. We'll just skip the rest of it. But, <laughs> but they, they, they said, you're going to sing. I, well, you know, no. And so, but anyway. So as you, um, as you heard uh, the reading of this great parable, um, thank you, Mark. You asked me, is that the text? And I am prepared to talk about that parable, but I thought I was supposed to talk about the, the little passage before that which says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. So depart from me you workers of lawlessness. I was prepared to talk about that. Thankfully, I'm not going to. Um, actually, because uh, the, you know, the, the, the wise and the foolish man parable, it sits between that passage, which are hard words. They're hard words. You know, at one point when Jesus was talking to his disciples, after he was done, the disciples said, Jesus, I mean, people are leaving in droves. Don't you realize the things you're saying are hard to swallow? They're hard to hear. And Jesus said, well, are you going to leave too? And you know what they said? They go, well, where are we going to go? You, you're the one that has words to life. And these are hard words, really hard words. Um, so this wise and foolish man parable, it sits between that, these very difficult words, hard words, and then this amazing Depiction of Jesus. It's my second favorite depiction of Jesus in the Gospels, where the crowds say, um, there's no one like you. My other favorite one is Jesus. Here's the crowds coming in. And what do we love about this place? Which I've never been here before, but what I love about this place all these kids. What's better than having a bunch of kids? Answer, nothing. There's nothing better than having a bunch of kids. So all these moms course are bringing their kids jesus he's obviously attractive he's obviously enjoying himself and so they're just bringing these kids and see the disciples they got another agenda we got stuff to do we're about 20 minutes late uh we got this thing going on over here and i think dinner's gonna be you know can we get the kids out of here and there's only two places you know in the gospel story where we see jesus as angry God is not an angry God. He has wrath, and there are times when evil and injustice, he's, I've had enough, and he comes, but he's not an angry God. He's a patient, merciful, forgiving God. His, his arm is long in its patience. But it's like some of us, you know, I've had enough. And I, I feel that some of you are a few teachers of you out there. You know how it is. You want to be patient, but sooner or later you go, I've had enough. And... Jesus is not, but you know, the one time he sees all these guys making a buck in church and he didn't go for that. He starts turning over the tables, makes a whip. And the other one is this one. The disciples say, can we get these kids out of here? And it says, Jesus was indignant. Indignant. It's like, don't you, you guys don't get it. Uh, that's that's kind of one of my favorite depictions of Jesus along with this one that we're going to look at here. 
So what I'd like to do is I just want to make three observations. I want to make an observation about these very hard words, and then I want to make an observation about this amazing parable, and then I want to make an observation about my, my second favorite depiction of our Lord Jesus in these three passages, okay? So first one, first observation about this, these strong words. My friend um, Greg, he's a colleague. I've been teaching at the school for going on 20 plus years, and we've been colleagues together. And uh, he's run into a little bit of turbulence, and he's not at school now. Um, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, his wife, been married to 20, 30 years. Uh, she got one of these crazy autoimmune diseases, you know, these, they, it's a mystery to doctors, can't figure it out, why, you know, Stanford, all that stuff. And she ended up dying about a year and a half ago. Um, so he had to take some time off, his life is crushed and undone. And then about a year after that, um, he finds out he has some trouble in his left eye and he goes to the doctor. The doctor says, you have cancer in your eye. Said, and cancer in, in the back of the eye is really a bad deal. Well, the problem with Greg is that he only has one eye because the other eye, when he was a kid, his dad was mowing the lawn, a rock came up and hit him in the eye. So he, it isn't, this one doesn't work. And now he's got cancer in this eye, so he's, he's blind. So on Thursdays after faculty meeting, and he's not working now at school. So on Thursdays after this faculty meeting, I go out to his house, we go to his little pub and he gets his IPA, I get my root beer, we have some French fries. And I picked him up this, just this last, Thursday, and um, he said, I got a lot of time on my hands. He can't, he can't see, he can't do anything. He's just home. So he's listening to scripture on tape. He goes, man, I listened to the scariest passage in the Bible. He goes, I don't know what to do about it. He goes, this really got me going. I go, well, what's that? He goes, you know, it's the one where Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. I go, oh, I'm supposed to preach that on Sunday, and I was planning on skipping that. I was just going to gloss over that and get to the wise men built the house upon the sand, or the, you know, I was going to skip it. And he goes, you better not. In fact, I was thinking about inviting him to come with me this morning, and I thought, no, I don't want him here, because then he'll, he'll ask me afterwards, Scott, you didn't, you didn't hit it hard enough, man. But... Um, he says, he said, he goes, I read the scariest words in the Bible. He says, I know about, because, you know, um, you know, lots can be said about this whole area. I'll just leave it to the pastors to talk to you about what does it mean, you know, to obey and to live. There's lots there. I mean, gone through the series on the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's there. And we all know, don't we? That people can say the right things, even, you know, do some things that are important and make stand up, stand up for the right things. But um, everybody knows there's more to it than that. There's a whole lot more than just what you say and a few things you're involved in. Jesus says, I knew them or I didn't know them. Now, the interesting thing about this is every now and then when you're, you're in a position like we are from time to time where we we're asked to speak or teach or preach or whatever. And sometimes it's right in the middle of the kinds of things we're, we're thinking and dealing with ourselves. And I just so happened just recently, the last couple of 
weeks, I've been finding myself right now. Um, in fact, I went to breakfast with the other guy yes, the other day, and it was right on my tongue, and oh, got to go. And I wanted to tell him, um, more than anything else in my life right now, I'm 67 years old, more than anything else in my life right now, I want to be known. Been married for 43 years. I got kids, grandkids. I got great neighbors. I work with a faculty a group of people that are amazing. I have friends like Mark and Kathleen. I mean, I, I, I want to be known. I, I, I think we're made that way. And I think we have times in our life. Sometimes we get so busy, we, we won't even know what that means. And then other times, whatever your circumstance, I think some of it, honestly, I think has a lot to do with age. And what does it look like to be known? Because Jesus says, you know, the will of God and all, it's about being known by him. What does it look like to be known? Well, no secrets. I want to be with someone where there's no secrets. I want to be with someone where I don't have to hide, don't have to make excuses. Someone, there's no pretending, like Jared was saying. What's the point in pretending? Um, not having to worry about my image or what people think about me. That's what it means to be known. And I think that's something to do with what Jesus is saying is, I'm looking for the kind of people who will come to me as they are. Not as they think I want them to be, not as they want everybody else to think that they are. I want to be in relationship with people as they are. That's what I think Jesus means when he says, I know them. Because we, we know the game. We, we, we're really good at it. Presenting to people what we want them to see, but it's not really who we are. So I think that's kind of the essence of this, uh, this middle, this, this hard language there. That's my first observation. Okay, and so I'm asking you this morning, if it's okay with you, does Jesus know you this way? Does he know you this way, or is it you just known by what you do, or what you say you believe, or, you know, or does he know you this way? I think that's what he's after. I think that's what the, and sounds nice, but it's not easy. I don't think it's easy. Okay, I think this is what it means, what Jesus is meaning when he says, um, doing the will of God. Okay, second observation. How about this parable? Uh, like many of Jesus' parables, it's, it's, it's kind of comic. It's kind of absurd. No one would build a house on sand. Nobody's going to go down to the beach, you know, over here on the Central Coast and build a house on the sand. It's just, it's, it, it doesn't, you know, people don't do those kinds of things. It's not one of these deals where you go, Hmm, I did that. Well, that was a mistake. I'll, I'll learn from that. I won't do that next time. No, you'd never even do it to begin with. And Jesus has these kinds of parables. He starts telling the story. People are shaking their head. They laugh. They just, no, 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 no. Some guy comes to his dad and said, I wish you were dead. I want all the money now. And they all, they're all going to go like this. No, no, where? Where does that happen? Nobody does that. How about this one? The guy... This is, this is one of great, Jesus' great parables. He's got some work to do out in the field. We know about work in the field. 
And so we got to get going. As soon as the sun's up, man, we got lots of work to do. So you know how guys, we have it in our culture, people hanging around on the street corner and, hey, you guys want to work? Hop in the back. Let's go. So he gets halfway through the day. How much you, I'm going to pay you $100 for the day. Great. Let's go. I can use the money. And then about halfway through the day, he's going, oh, man, I got more work than I thought. I need more workers. Goes back to the corner, says, hey, you guys want work? Sure. It's about noon. Hop in the back. I'll pay you $100 for the day. And then, like, there's two hours left of sunlight, and there's still more work to be done. So he gets a couple other guys. You guys want work to do? Sure, it's kind of late, but all right. Hop in the back. I'll pay $100. People listen to that story going, no, 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 no. $100, $50, maybe 10 bucks. It's comic. It's absurd. And Jesus tells these stories to draw people in, and he, they're just lots of these kinds of things that that characterizes jesus storytelling well what's the most obvious thing about this parable well first of all you know jesus says there are people who hear my word they do something about it then there are people who hear my words and they don't do anything about it well the first thing that's common is everybody's hearing something you know it's funny you come to church and you listen to good preaching and teaching, and you go away and start talking. Oh, I, oh, somebody said, yeah, when he said this, oh, I didn't even hear that. Oh, when he said this, he didn't say that. Yes, he did. And, you know, because he's saying something to you, right? You can walk away from listening to somebody talk for 45 minutes maybe, and they just one thing. And he, he's talking to everyone. The Lord Jesus talks to everyone. That's it. It's in his nature. And so everybody hears something. But you know how this parable unfolds. Everybody hears something, and everyone's building a house. Everyone is. We're all doing something with our lives. We're all, in some way or another, kind of on pilgrimage. We're, we're going somewhere, right? And here's the other thing, of course. Storms happen to everyone. Yeah, storms happen to everyone. Um, in my class, a Bible class, I have freshman and sophomore, and we're just finishing up the David story. Now, uh, I love the David story. Uh, the David story is the most thoroughly narrated story in the Bible. We know more about David than anybody else. It's not to say he's the most important person. He is a very important person in the Bible. Uh, we have Moses and Abraham, and of course, turn the page, we have Jesus. He's, he's what the Bible is all about. But the David story is long, and we know more about him from the time he's just a little guy all the way through till the time he dies. So we just finished. We were in the David story a long time in my class, and I've been showing this film. Uh, it was made for TV, TNT, or whatever film of David. So it's like three and a half hours long. So, you know, every we have these block schedules, 90 minutes. So, well, you know, we'll take a couple of minutes. So t it took like three weeks to show this film. And one of the last scenes in the film, I don't know if you know this part of the David story, but his son Absalom, uh, he connives to take the throne from David. And there's division in the land, and David flees. And um, long story short, they go after Absalom, and he's dangling from the tree, his long hair, and Joab and David's men surround uh, Absalom, even though David told him not to. He said, when you find Absalom, be gentle with the boy. Well, they don't pay attention. They all stab him at the same time. So I get right at that point <laughs> of the film, and I hit pause, right? Because it's kind of a gory scene, 
They go, Mr. Falk, what are you doing? I go, we don't want to see that. They're screaming at me, yes, yes. We want to see it. We want to see it. And, you know, yelling at me. And then Caleb in the back row, he goes, Mr. Falk, you can't sugarcoat the Bible. <laughs> right on, Caleb. I go, that's right. So I hit the play button. So, you know, the, you can't sugarcoat the reality that storms come to everyone, and they're the same kinds of storms. The storms that your neighbor has no interest in God, has no, is the Jesus thing doesn't make any sense to him, or he's got some other crazy thing he's living his life for, he'll have the same storms you will. But we know the difference from the parable. The difference is, well, what are you building your house on? And we all know, don't we? that storms and trials and struggles, they just serve to show what you're made of. My friend Greg, that lost his other eye and lost his wife and now has lost his job. He can't be a journalism teacher. He can't even read a paper. He's lost everything. And people ask me, so how's he doing? And I just simply say, the storm has come to my friend. And all I got to say is, if that storm came to me, I hope I'd be doing just what Greg does. That's, that's my sense. The storm has come to him, and I'm watching him. Now, he's a friend of mine. I've been going to lunch with him for 25 years. Storms have come to his life, and we all know when the storms come, it shows what we're made of, right? Yeah. Okay, now the last observation, this final observation. When Jesus finished all this Sermon on the Mount, you've been listening to these lessons on from the beginning. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. And when you pray, pray this way. And don't judge. Take care of that speck in your eye that you're trying to take care of speck in your neighbor's eye. Take care of that log in your eye first. Um, all those things that Jesus has to say, on and on. I, I read them probably four or five times this last week, just trying to get my mind in gear to, of course, being with you, but what I was going to say this morning. I read them again this morning. And when Jesus finished all this, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as someone who had authority not like their scribes. Now, one of the things you need to know is in Jesus' day, lots of preachers. I, I came in from Fresno. I passed 20 churches or whatever. And they're all preaching. And the parking lots are all full, right? That's just Tulare, you know? What if I kind of detoured Kingsburg and all the other towns and not much less getting out of Fresno? There are preachers everywhere in Jesus' day. And it's a praying culture. It's a church culture, just like sort of our culture. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and they go, you don't sound like our other teachers. You don't sound like our other preachers. And so crowds come around him. Now, what was peculiar? What was compelling about Jesus? The crowd sensed it. We sensed it. I sensed it this morning as we sang our praises to him. He's compelling. Well, what is it about him that's different? Well, 
the one of the first things interesting about Jesus is in Jesus' day, all these other teachers, they're always quoting Rabbi so-and-so said this, Rabbi so-and-so said that, you know, this, this philosophy, there's this way to look at it, this way, well, you know, that's what they all did. You notice Jesus never did that. He never quoted anybody. He just says, here, I'm telling you. I'm telling you this. This is how it is. That's one thing that made him very different. Uh, another thing <laughs> made him very different. It says that, you know, he's a great teacher, and he cast out demons, and he healed people. Now, that wasn't going on a lot with these other teachers either, <laughs> right? No. And so there's some guy out there teaching, and all kinds of crazy things are happening while he's teaching. So that's, that's unusual. That made him different. And one of the things, of course, that marked him significantly is what we just read, stories. I teach these freshmen and, and sophomores. They're as disinterested in my class as they are in their U.S. history class, truly. They're just waiting for the bell. Well, Mr. Falk, when do we get out of here? Here's the amazing thing. I, I read the psalm, start off the psalm, and um, I start, start getting in my lesson about Dave, and the hand goes up. I'm thinking, all right, here we go. This is what I was made for. What's your question, dear? Can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> I tell you, I wish I had a dollar for every time because I've been teaching for 20 years, and that's about all I ever get. Mr. Falk, can I go to the bathroom? Um, <laughs> So, but, so, you know, I love them. They love me. They say I'm a great teacher and stuff like that. But really, when are we out of here? Until I say, you know, yesterday when I was going home from class, I lived about three blocks up from the school. Now, as I was pulling out of this parking lot, strange thing, this lady right in front of me, she had pulled over her, you know, her tire was obviously flat. She's on her cell phone. The poor woman looked like, as soon as I start telling that story, you know what starts to happen? They start leaning in. They don't want to go to the bathroom. Oh, not now. I don't want to miss this. I'll go to the bathroom after the story. <laughs> or if the bell rings, Mr. Fall, finish the story before we go. What happens when we tell stories? People are drawn in. Now, why are people drawn in? Because you're in the story. You're in the David story. You're in the Joseph story. You're in the Abraham story. You're in the Adam and Eve story too, right? You're back in the garden. That's you in the garden. And when Jesus begins to tell these stories, we're in the story. Have you ever done anything so foolish that you were ashamed to tell anybody about it? Because as soon as you tell them, they go, what'd you do that for? You're an idiot. You go, yeah, I know I am. So when he talks about this foolish builder, we go, well, let me tell you. Yeah, I've done a few things in my life I don't want anybody to know about. We get drawn into these stories, and that's the kind of teacher Jesus was. Why? Because everything that he has to say is lived. It's all lived. And when you hear the story, you start to see yourself in the story, and you say to yourself, that's me. And I can live that. I do live that, and I can live that. And that's the power of these parables. And there's more to it than that, actually. And then there's one really curious thing about the way Jesus taught. When we finished, and when the scripture was read, 
And maybe when we pray, and maybe when it's all over today, what are we going to say? Amen. Right? Scott, you told me 30 minutes? Yeah, let's get to the amen. Huh? <laughs> amen. Amen is a Hebrew word. It means true. It just mean, it's just... It's, it's transliterated from Hebrew, like hallelujah. It just means true. So when you say amen in the church, the preacher or somebody's saying, you're singing a song, you're feeling good, you just go, man, that's true. That's as true as true can be. That's all you, you might as well say, true that, preach. Or in some, or in some churches, that's exactly what they do say, preach it. That's right. That's true. That, that's what amen is. Did you notice that when Jesus taught, most people put the amen at the end. When Jesus taught, he said, before he opened his mouth, he'd say, amen. Before he taught. Older translations say, verily, verily, I say unto you. And some of our newer translations, truly, truly, I tell you. That's a strange thing to do. You're supposed to put that at the end. What's going on there? Jesus, I think, is saying, I want you to listen carefully. I don't want you to listen disengaged. I don't want you to listen just to critique or pick it up. What I'm telling you is as true as true can be. And nobody taught that way. And most people don't teach it. We always leave ourselves in that. Like I told Stoby, I go, I'm going to go kind of light on that passage. I don't know. I might say the wrong thing. So I'll just... I'll leave that with the other pastors. We kind of leave ourselves an out, right? In my opinion, that leaves me an out. And Jesus right at the top says, truly, I most importantly, the people identified said, this man teaches, and the phrase they use is with authority. And that just means his life backed up every word he said. And that was the problem they had with the other teachers, you know. They were hypocrites, and Jesus didn't mind saying so. He called them out. He said, you're hypocrites. A hypocrite's an actor. You say one thing, but you don't live it. And that's what the parable's about, isn't it? And that's what these harsh words are about. You say one thing, but you don't live it. Narration in this day and age is to live. First of all, know, know what the truth is. Know what the amen is. Know the Sermon on the Mount. Know what we're supposed to do with our enemies. Know what we're supposed to do with people violate us, right? Know what we're supposed to do when, when it comes to our words, right? Know these things and then live it. Live it for heaven's sakes. And people, when they see that, then your words, they have authority. But if you're not living it, you can, we all know this. You can say anything you want and it, it's just not going to be heard. But what will be heard is when your words match who you are. And that's what made Jesus different. Because everybody that listened to Jesus knew that these other preachers were full of it. Because they watched them and they knew. There's one place in the, in the story, it's describing these guys. It says all they did was love money. It describes them. They loved power. They loved the image that they put in front of people. And they loved money. People saw that. It's no mystery to people, but that's not what Jesus was like. He said, bring those children here for heaven's sakes, right? Bring them here. I'll just spend all night if I have to, hugging and kissing and blessing. And it says he put his hands upon them and he blessed them. What's your name, sweetheart? Julia, Julia, God bless you, the sweetest, cutest little thing. Give a big kiss, go sit with mom. 
Amen? Amen. Amen. Can I pray? Okay. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, your, your life and your words are compelling. That's why we sing the way we do. That's why we've come here this morning. We're drawn to you. We're drawn to this message of mercy, and love, and patience, kindness. We're drawn to this reality that we're not playing games with words, but we're living and wanting to live every bit of it. It's to you we pray. It's to you we praise. It's to you we serve, God, and it's to you we bring our lives again and say, God, here's our life. You know, make it worthy of you.